kind of forget about the disease completely. Just look at this patient's constitution and try to balance this. And many of the problems somebody has will just get better or, or vanish. And still today, I'm sometimes struggling with this idea because it's so far off from what we are trained to think of. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I'm busy, and I find myself saying this a lot. I wouldn't say it's a lie, but it usually leaves me feeling like I'm not quite being honest with the full picture of what's going on. Some of it harkens back to my family where busy was the get-out-of-jail-free card for avoiding something that you didn't want to do. So if you were busy with school or work or really anything productive, it was an acceptable way out of a situation that you didn't want. I also have family members who used it as a badge of honor. Being busy was good. In fact, it was better than good. It showed that you had value and that you had worth. I hated that familiar call to busy. And like most things we hate or resist, it's really easy to slide into it. Back when technology was more promised than product, we were sold the vision of a world of leisure because of all the time-saving power that would soon shape our lives. Turns out, it didn't quite work out that way. Perhaps time and commitment felt different when we wrote our commitments into a calendar that had the heft of a small book. Clicking the add button, that doesn't quite give the same visual spatial sense of time. And so it's easy to fill a day with commitments and appointments, but not have the sense of space and distance of what an hour actually means. I find myself telling myself I'm busy and I need to be less so. People ask about what's new, and as much as I hate to say it, I say I'm busy. And it's bothersome to me because I'm busy dodges the essential question of, how are you? No, I mean, really, how are you? It might be more honest to say that I've let my calendar get out of control, or maybe that I'm just lousy at managing my time. Perhaps more the truth is that I've had a hard time saying the word no. I fear missing out on something that might be good. And so endlessly spin life's wheel of fortune without really giving it a moment to pause and see what's arrived. You may have folks in your practice like this too. I've got patients that endlessly hurry themselves. They reach a huge goal and they don't even pause. In fact, they're already beating themselves up about being behind on that next shiny object that's up ahead. It's no wonder that they're exhausted and it's no wonder that they can't focus. Perhaps This is what rootless floating yang actually feels like. It's an endless outpouring of energy that's untethered to the cycle of activity and stillness. I think it's a mistake to conflate busy and productive because they're not the same. Nor does busy mean being engaged. It might even be a way to avoid the hard decisions that would allow for more productivity. Less is more sounds really nice until you begin to implement that in your life. So, I'm curious, what about you? What's your relationship with busy like? If you're a regular listener, you'll know that about a year and a half ago, I started working with Sa'am Acupuncture after having Toby Daly as the guest of episode 45. He learned this method from a wandering monk and so entered the stream of medicine through that particular influence. Today, I'm delighted to bring you another perspective on Sa'am. This one from a practitioner who came into the stream of the medicine from a more modern and scholarly tradition. 
There's a lot of overlaps between these two currents of Sa'am. If you're not familiar with the Sa'am method, then perhaps this conversation will spark some interest for you. And if you already have some experience with this method, you're going to enjoy this conversation with Andreas Bruch, as it will confirm so much of what you already know and give you some new insights on some things to look for in your clinic. Geological also has an online Sa'am class that comes with NCCAOM PDAs and State of California CEUs, as well as a number of complimentary discussions on the Sa'am method. Additionally, there are a number of clinical case study discussions that are available for a small fee. To find those, go to the website, click on the Courses menu, and take a look under the On-Demand Offerings. And if you prefer to learn in person, or maybe you want to live stream an introductory class, then check out the real-time offerings. Thank you to LASA OMS for their support of the podcast. LASA is dedicated to helping practitioners hone our craft by helping to bring you geological and by supporting conferences and with their library of webinars and blog posts. One of the things that I love about the LASA webinars is that they're geared toward busy practitioners who work during the day, and so they're held in the evenings after office hours, which makes it a lot easier to attend them in person. For over 40 years, LASA OMS has brought you quality supplies. They have pretty much any pin you'd like to use in your practice, along with a wide range of CBD products, herbs, electroacupuncture units, essential oils, moxibustion supplies, you name it, folks, they got it. Fair prices, attentive customer service, and an unrivaled selection on supplies makes them a great place to shop for your clinical needs. LASA also supports our community by giving to disaster relief efforts. They donate supplies to support schools, and they also work with state organizations so as to help protect and sustain our profession. Sign up for their mailing list so you can get notices on flash sales. They've got everything acupuncture that you might need. LASA OMS, supporting your practice and our profession with resources and knowledge. Okay, folks, buckle up as we're going to get into another conversation about how you take the five phases and squish them together with the six jing and create some magic with as little as four needles. Andreas Bruchs, welcome to Geological. Yes, hello, welcome from Germany. It's so cool that we can use the internet, you know, and have some conversations about Chinese medicine from all over the world. And the portion of the world that we're going to be talking about today with East Asian medicine is Korea and the Sa'am acupuncture in particular. I know that you have written a book on this. You have, you have a not small amount of experience with Sa'am. I am super curious to know how you came across this particular method and learned it because Sa'am acupuncture is not well known and it's often difficult to find out about. So how did you find your way into this stuff? Yeah, well, it was kind of a coincidence, actually. Um, I first uh, started getting the well, standard TCM education here uh, in one institute in Germany. But before I started this, and I mean, from my first professional career, I had some connections to Korea. And uh, my first connection to Korean acupuncture or Korean medicine was that I went uh, four times to Korea to, to get the complete education for this Korean hand acupuncture called uh, Koryo Suchi Jim. 
Yes, yes. I've learned a little bit of that in school. Yes, yes. And after I went four times to Korea and I passed the whole program that they usually offer for the for the Koreans who, who do this as a healing system, uh, at the end I was uh, kind of a little bit dissatisfied with the theoretical background and uh, the clinical training on the patients they could provide and especially the diagnostic method. That was in 2010. My first uh, teacher for some acupuncture, he did a lecture at the Rotenburg TCM Congress in Germany, which is the, the biggest uh, Chinese medicine congress in, in Europe. And he just did a very short lecture of about, I think it was like three or three and a half hours of, of some acupuncture. And I just went there because I thought, well, this is something Korean. And in that session, I realized that all the missing bits of theory and understanding to be able to really grasp this hand acupuncture system is actually provided or, or could be provided from that uh, psalm body acupuncture system. And that is because the hand acupuncture is divided in several levels of uh, complexity of treatment and the highest level of complexity in this Korean hand acupuncture is the same idea and theory like in some acupuncture doing the treatment strategy with these four needles. I was very fascinated with some acupuncture and frankly speaking, the week after the the congress, I just started using some acupuncture. My first teacher, Dr. Chu, he provided his full lecture script several hundred pages of, of PowerPoint presentation. And I just went through this and I, I just immediately started trying to use this. And from that, it just went on and on, I can say. So that's fascinating. I have, like I was saying, I have a little experience with the Korean hand acupuncture. It was something that we were exposed to when I was in acupuncture school. And I played around with it a little bit over the years. I've, I've kind of gotten away from it in time. I think partly because... Like you were saying, I didn't have a strong theoretical understanding of what I was doing. I felt like I could maybe use it in some imaging sorts of ways, but I didn't feel like I could get my teeth into it. And so it's interesting hearing that that you followed that deeply. You found a piece that's missing, and then you listen to this lecture on some acupuncture, and you go, there's the missing piece. I've had a very similar experience. It was exactly my feeling. I, oh, this is it. Oh yeah, now I got it. And and then I just thought, okay, but then I will switch to the original. That was my my uh, kind of feeling at that time. Yeah. So what was it that started to come together for you when you started seeing how these pieces went together, when the theory started to make sense and you could see how things were working? What is it that you were beginning to notice? I found this method very... Uh, logical and very systematic because it provides um, a framework that is, well, the way I learned it, quite ordered and systematic. And it's, to myself, an easier to understand principle that is provided that then in general TCM, Chinese medicine um, acupuncture, because it has a, yeah, this framework you can follow and then things order more easily. And I mean, that was like, uh, now almost 10 years ago and I was kind of a beginner in Chinese medicine and I found it 
easier to follow this systematic than trying to order and systemize all the very various information and all the approaches of Chinese medicine and then just find out in every new patient how should I approach this patient. So with some acupuncture I found it's easier actually to make it work practically. At that time that was my impression and uh, from today's perspective I think also it's faster. I felt at that time also it's more effective but I can only speak for myself. When I used it it immediately was more effective than the Chinese medicine I did before. I don't want to you know um, degrade Chinese medicine in general but compared to my level of skill at that time I did better with sound acupuncture. Yes well and, and I think all of us because we're looking for good clinical results if we find something that works and it's helpful we're going to use that we're not going to use something else. I have a little background in Sa'am. I've been, I was exposed to it about a year and a half ago. It also made a lot of sense to me. In fact, it tied a lot of the herbal study that I've done over the years. It tied that together and actually brought it into the acupuncture sphere for me, which I found really interesting because I used to have a way of thinking where I, I thought about herbs in one way and I would think about acupuncture in another. And, and now I can think about herbs and I can think about acupuncture in a seamless way using these particular principles, which has been super satisfying for me intellectually and, and clinically it's worked better as well. One of the things I noticed about the Sa'am principles is that I can make better sense of TCM from the perspective of Sa'am. When I'm looking through the, through the lens of Sa'am, I can see things that I, that I learned in TCM that didn't really make sense. And all of a sudden I go, oh, that's how that works. Yes, I, from, it's the same for myself. But to be able to you know, get this impression, it needs quite some effort to understand the sound acupuncture system. And I think then it opens up a new perspective. And if you have this new perspective, you will understand the, the general Chinese medicine, some of the approaches better. As I said, it uh, takes some effort or you, you of course, you, you have to learn some additional theory and some additional approach. That's what I um, actually keep telling the people who attend my seminars. I said, first, you will be more confused, even more confused than with Chinese medicine because we add some more layers of perspective and theory and you get confused. But once you understand the system, it will you know, be more systematic and be more ordered and you will understand it better what you do because there are one, well, maybe two layers of theory that, that add to it. You have more perspectives and you have more possibility, more different approaches, how you can understand or classify your patient's condition and then, then just treat that. Can you give us a Sa'am 101, like a basic introduction to some of these principles so that the people that are listening to our conversation today can, can begin to get it. To, you know, we're not going to teach people Sa'am in this conversation, but can you Talk about some of the basics that would make sense to someone who studied TCM and, and maybe help to open up their perspective a little bit so that they can kind of get a taste 
for what's being offered with this method? I can try to give a short overview of the of the theory of of the approach. The first you have to know is that the theory encompasses all the theoretical approaches you will find in standard TCM. So everything you know and everything you ha we have studied in Chinese medicine can just be used with uh, the practical acupuncture approach in some acupuncture. And then there are, well, in the orthodox method, one more theoretical layer and in the a little bit more modern approach, two layers. One is that the some acupuncture draws very much on the five element theory. This is the one part of it. And the second part is that we use another approach that is called the 6G or Yuki in Korean. Chinese pronunciation, I don't know, but it's like Liu Qi. Yeah. We, we would say, uh, yeah, Liu Qi or Liu Jing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this approach is uh, using the climatic energies that are found in the nature and that is transferred to the human ph physiology and pathology. So uh, the six G are dampness and dryness, hot and cold, and energy moving towards the inside of the body and outside. So how can I say? Centering to the inside and energy moving to the outside. The Chinese terms for these six energies are the same like in the in the six levels from the from the Shanghan Lung. So Tai Yin is dampness, Yang Ming is dryness. Shaoyin is heat and uh, Taiyang is cold and Jueyin is uh, the energy of the wind moving inwards and uh, Shaoyang is the energy and warmth of the light moving outwards. And these six energies that we find in different uh, meridian energies, these six energies are combined with the uh, the char characteristics of the five-element or five-phase uh, characteristic of each meridian. So in every meridian, we have two aspects. One is from the five elements and one is from the six Qi's. And if you combine it, you have the 12 main meridians that have uh, each of them has a very individual energetic characteristic. These climatic characteristics are used to understand and classify our patient's symptoms and problems. And also they are used for a constitutional approach of the patients. So, for example, of course, we know some people who are damp and some are dry just from their constitution. So some are more fat or overweight, they are damp, and the, the, the skinny, the thin types we can classify as dry and the same is with uh, hot and cold people who are freezing a lot of obviously they are cold and people who feel hot and sweat a lot and something like that they are warm and the well the energy inward outward um, idea of the constitution is a little bit more complex but basically we can say people who feel tired and have a very little energy they have not enough movement in their body and those who are who, who cannot calm down and who are agitated and irritable and something like that they have too much energy so the ones we have to you know we have start to get their energy moving and the other ones we have to slow down their energy like like that yeah this is the basic constitutional idea for using this approach in the conventional way of chinese medicine we can try to make a 
like a standard Chinese TCM diagnosis that we are using for normal acupuncture or for, for the herbal medicine and transfer this to this framework and from that idea pick the right um, meridian to to treat, to tonify or to sedate the energy of the meridian. Should I make an example? Yes, I want to hear an example, but I want to say something before you do that. In some ways, it seems like this is too simple, right? I mean, we're looking at these six climatic conditions, and, and really because they're actually paired together, right? The dampness is going to balance the dryness. The inward movement is going to balance the outer movement. And the hot, we know hot balance is cold, right? So it, in some ways, now it's even simpler. Clinic is hard. People come with complex issues. And, you know, and, and there's a part of me that thinks, huh, six climatic conditions. Isn't life a little bit more complex than that? And then we start bringing in the five phases. Oh, now we've got some other nuance coming in here because things start to blend together. But even then, there's this part of me that goes, can these fairly simple relationships really encompass so much of, of, of the conditions that people walk into our clinic with? And yet, apparently they can. So yes, I would love to hear uh, a clinical example. The first one that comes to my mind um, is a patient who came with uh, some neck problems. He kept on having neck uh, pain for for quite a long time. This patient was somebody who is, is very hot. He was sweating a lot, always warm, and and I realized his body is always wet. He kind of, well, how can I explain that? Has uh, So his condition was damp heat, which I could uh, mostly see on his feet. I'm a little bit limited by my English. How do you, you know, this call this more hard skin that people have on their heels? Yes, I've, I've seen, it's funny, I've actually got a patient like this. Yes, it's, it's like thickened hard skin. Yeah, so if people have, we call it cheesy feet in German, if I translate, so you will have that in English, so the, 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 the skin is damp and it smells, so, and he had, this patient has a lot, had a lot of these signs, so he, he's, a, he's a damp heat person, and at first I just treated him very symptomatically for his back pain, like you would do that in in normal TCM, find the hardened spots and, you know, maybe even think about which meridian is first, where is the problem located. This is the one way to approach this, this kind of patient. And the second one is simply to use that meridian that, as you said before, will balance this condition of he's too damp and he's too hot. So we need a meridian that has a characteristic of cooling and drying this person. And in some acupuncture, this is the large intestine meridian because, uh, as I said before, the five element characteristic and the six G characteristic of each meridian is combined to one unique trait of this meridian. As we know, large intestine is metal in uh, Chinese medicine, which is dry and dry and cold. In 6G theory, it is Yang Ming and the uh, Yang Ming meridians, they are also, they are drying and they also correspond to metal. So it's a little bit dry and cold. And these two 
traits come together, making the large intestine meridian on a constitutional level a very drying and uh, cooling meridian. So by tonifying the large intestine meridian, we can balance uh, damp and hot conditions, just making this person uh, a little bit drier and cooler. In general, that is one of the traits of Korean medicine, thinking more on a constitutional level and not so much about the particular disease a person has. So just by balancing this constitution, uh, many of the symptoms and problems a patient has will just uh, decrease or will, will get better. The symptoms will become less. We talk about this a lot in Chinese medicine that we want to get to the root of something, right? There's the idea that there's the root and there's the branch. Usually we're trying to work somewhere in between those two. I think often, I don't know about other practitioners and I don't know about you, I have this idea for myself, man, if I can really get to the root, I don't have to worry so much about the branch. But in clinical practice, people come in and they want to feel better. I will often work more on the branch because I want them to feel like, yeah, acupuncture works. And I may ignore the root to some degree. But what I think I'm hearing you say is with something like Sa'am, if you use this perspective and you diagnose correctly and you treat correctly, you can do something that is a very root treatment. It will significantly shift the branch. Yes, we can say that. And of course, it does not mean that you should not do any branch or uh, symptomatic treatment. But if you want to come down to the, the many of the sources of, of, of or roots of a patient's problems, we can try to balance the, the whole constitution. And I can just tell you, I still have sometimes problems thinking first as a Westerner and second as somebody being educated in TCM. I mean, as a, in Western thinking, you will only think about the mostly the symptoms and what is the diagnosis according to Western medicine. We want to heal that. In Chinese medicine, we have this Chinese uh, medicine diagnosis, which is, well, not that symptomatic, but it's going a little bit deeper. But still, we are diagnosing a disease. And what many doctors do in, in Korean medicine and what is one of the strengths of sound acupuncture also is kind of forget about the disease completely. Just look at this patient's constitution and try to balance this and many of the problems somebody has will just, you know, get better or, or vanish. And still today, I'm sometimes struggling with this idea because it's so far off from what we are trained to think of. This year I was uh, with a new teacher in, in Seoul and he was so deep into this kind of constitutional treatment and what he did is every patient look at their constitution from that perspective I told you. Is this person dry or damp? Is he hot or cold? Does he have too much or not enough movement? Movement is the, the climatic factor of wind. And he just balanced these things with a few needles and then just sent the patients away <laughs> to lie on the bench. And from his uh, perspective, this is pretty much the whole treatment. They are doing this in, in some acupuncture kind of with one needle. An old lady comes in and says, well, doctor, I have knee pain. And so the doctor says, okay, squat. So he makes them squat and they say, okay, I can go down that far until I have pain. So he, the, the, the old lady gets up and he says, he thinks, okay, she's a little bit too damp. So she's a little bit overweight. So he gives one needle. 
to balance this dampness condition and say squat again one needle squat again so and she can squat for further down and it's like kind of very very strange <laughs> if you see that and that's the way to approach the patient it's possible actually so that one needle was he looking to tonify something to get rid of the dampness or was he looking to drain something to get rid of the dampness. In that case, tonify the dryness. So tonify the, the young min meridian, tonify the metal element in the body to make the patient drier. And uh, it's kind of weird if you see this for the first time. Yeah. Uh, well, is this really everything? <laughs> well, pretty much. I mean, they do, of course, uh, symptomatic treatment, but the core strategy of treating the patient is not treating the disease, but treating the constitution of the patient. It sounds like you can get some very helpful diagnostic feedback this way. You can make your diagnosis, you do that one needle, especially if somebody has come in with symptoms, something objective, something that we can look and see, is this going to change or not? You could do that one needle, am I right or am I wrong with this idea, right? Oh, she squats further, okay, I'm right. But by the same token, I mean, off, you know, not often, but you know, sometimes we're wrong. It's uncomfortable as heck in clinic for me when I put a needle in and they get worse, but it's very helpful information because it means go do something different. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. for sure, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much the same. Well, I mean, this is the completely constitutional approach, but of course, as I tried to explain before already, we can use some acupuncture. I mean, the, the prescribed four needle combinations that are used in some acupuncture also to treat a kind of TCM diagnosis. So for example, the main treatment strategies are four needles that are being used to tonify or to strengthen the energy of a meridian and four to sedate or to weaken the energetic characteristic of a meridian. These two approaches can also be, how can I say, brought together with the standard Chinese medicine diagnosis. So we have, for example, liver, all kinds of liver diagnosis that we can classify as a deficiency and other diagnosis that we can try, uh, that we can classify as excess diagnosis. So we have these four needles to strengthen the energy in the meridian and we can use all TCM diagnosis that are deficiency and treat all these different kinds of syndromes with all the same four points that are used in some acupuncture for strengthening the meridian. So balancing the deficiency with strengthening <laughs> the meridian's energy. Yeah, for example, liver chi deficiency, liver blood deficiency, um, uh, liver yin deficiency, liver yang deficiency, all these diagnoses, they're treated or approached with the same four points uh, in some acupuncture. So that makes treatment a lot easier. Yeah. So Because you don't think about individual points. It's just given for this class of, of, of diagnosis. So for all right. of those, you would strengthen the liver. You would tonify the liver. Yeah, right. Yeah. No thinking about which point is more for yin or for yang or for blood or for qi. I don't care. I just use these four points and it will be fine. It will be okay simplifies things quite a bit in, yeah, in terms of what points do I choose. Right. It simplifies the approach for acupuncture. Of course, if you treat your patients at the same time with herbs, 
you must think about a specific, very exact diagnosis for your um, herbal medicine approach. It, you know, it doesn't make things easier for that, at least in my case. But the acupuncture treatment is quite, quite easy to decide for the treatment because we don't need those different lists of acupuncture points for each different, let's say, liver diagnosis. We have basically two approaches, you know, treat the deficiency or treat the excess. Mm -hmm. And that's it. What kind of things look like a liver excess where you would perhaps want to drain? And, and, and the other question I have is, do you tend to find that you tonify more often or drain more often or equal amounts? Is there, are there some parameters um, or guidelines that you can give us around draining and tonifying? Yeah. Um, as there is this balancing method of uh, cool balancing heat or dry balancing dampness or moving uh, energy moving inwards must be balanced by energy moving outwards. So this balancing idea and mostly we will try to find the meridian that will uh, tonifies or strengthen some energy to balance it not uh, by draining so in 85 percent 90 percent of the cases you would use a tonifying strategy so to say this is from theory i must say uh, in the recent uh, time I'm using more <laughs> training strategies but in general we could say there's a lot of in, in, in clinical practice you would use a lot more tonifying approach it's the same idea I think like in standard TCM you don't want to drain too much you want to use too much draining acupuncture strategies because by by draining the energy or trying to put out the path pathogen of our, in, in, in our patients, there is a danger that we uh, might damage the upright chi, right? So not doing that too much because you have to be a little bit careful with that. Yeah. You talked earlier about how you primarily use the four needles. It's a great way to get a very powerful root treatment, but sometimes you'll also do branch treatments. Can you give us an example of when you've done the four needles as an aspect of root treatment and then done some other kind of branch treatment as well? Yeah, well, actually, uh, the, the kind of constitutional root treatment is what I told before. You find a patient who is freezing a lot, but she is overweight, so we need some meridian that will warm up and dry the patient or the other way around some patient is very thin or underweight or you know skinny so this person we can classify as dry depending if she's warm or cold we might need some meridian energy that uh, is promoting dampness and warming or promoting dampness and cooling it depends on the situation just very general more branch treatment uh, you could use in some acupuncture for most or many B syndromes, many musculoskeletal problems. Uh, for example, if you have a patient who has a shoulder problem and the uh, most severe pain can be loca um, localized in the large intestine meridian or in the Sanjiao meridian, you would just tonify this meridian with the four needle approach in some acupuncture. So if I have a patient, for example, who has um, pain by lifting his arm to 
to the lateral side, we can classify this as a problem in the Sanjo, like a supraspinatus tendon uh, inflammation, something like that. Very simple. The patient comes in my clinic, lifts the arm, said, my most pain is by lifting the arm to the side. I say, bingo, this is Sanjo. And I use the four needles to tonify the Sanjo meridian. And this is my, well, this is my basic treatment strategy for this patient. And it's not that root treatment. It's more like, okay, the pain is here on this on this uh, part of the body, this can be classified uh, as a, a localized condition of that meridian, and then just I'm, I'm just uh, tonify the well the upright chi in that meridian to address this condition. To address that condition, do you do you treat on the same side as the problem or the opposite side? In the orthodox way of some acupuncture, you treat on the opposite side with those the basic uh, four needle treatment approach. And the other side is open or free for to any any other kind of treatment you you like to do. Mm -hmm. Do you sometimes add in ideas, maybe the Korean hand acupuncture that you were talking about, or maybe some TCM or other things that you've used, where you might do saam on one side and then on the open side, as you call it, do something else? Yeah, sure. That's the way you should you should do it. That's the possibility. So the the the, the opposite side of the four needle some acupuncture approach is open to you every every idea you might think of. Huh? For example, on one side I am let's say using for whatever reason the hard meridian with the four needle approach of some acupuncture. So on the other side you can add additional ideas like you you think you want to remove some dampness in your patients. Like in Chinese medicine, I would use spleen 9 and stomach 40 or use a, some reactive or symptomatic point. The patient has pain on the shoulder, uses some local spot, painful spot, trigger point or acupuncture point on really on the side of the problem. Or you could use the eight extraordinary vessel points on the other side, whatever you like. It's it's really it's really open. So there's actually a lot of room for creativity with this. You get, I mean, you take these basic principles, you get that dialed, and that simplifies things a little bit. That's helpful. And then on the other side, you can take whatever else you work with and and see how that goes. When you are assessing the effectiveness of your treatment, of course, we're just talking about the shoulder. You could put needles in one side, ask them to raise their arm. Clearly, you're going to find out if you're right or you're wrong. Often you're right. The patient's eyes get real big like, oh, my God, did that really happen? Right? It's, it's super fun. I'm wondering if there's other ways, though. I mean, sometimes people are laying on the table. They've got more of an internal medicine condition. They can't really tell you if their digestion's better right now or not. How do you know if you've got the treatment right or if you've missed the mark? And if you've missed the mark... What do you do about it? What I'm doing, but actually I did not find the Korean doctors do that so often in, in Korea, is checking the pulse. So if you are doing a diagnosis based on the pulse information, I would use the, well, either one of those four needles or all four needles and needle the patient on that point or these points and then recheck the pulse if it has changed. This is, of course, one way you could do it. 
maybe like in Chinese medicine or some colleagues who are practicing strictly Chinese medicine will do that. I actually learned this from training in Japanese acupuncture, which I also got in Germany. So they, in Japanese acupuncture, they do parts of their treatment and then recheck the pulse and see what happens. And the second way is uh, abdominal diagnosis. So I'm using kind of Korean abdominal diagnosis and rechecking the sensitive areas or acupuncture points on the torso or abdomen. And in many cases, or actually I, I might say in most of the cases, if the treatment works, the hardness or the painful pain on the abdominal points is just improving by putting in those four some acupuncture points. So practically speaking, I would, for diagnosis, palpate all the uh, mu points of my patients and try to find which is the, which is the most painful or which which of these points, if they are painful, uh, correspond the most with the patient's condition, then decide for a meridian, put in the four needles of thumb acupuncture, repalpate the point or the area, and if it became softer or less painful, I'm pretty sure that my treatment is uh, at least not completely wrong. Pretty much sure that it's, it's, it's the correct way to approach this patient. That makes a lot of sense. The... I know the Japanese use a lot of abdominal palpation as well. And it's a really helpful way, like Kiko Matsumoto, for example. I mean, incredible changes in the abdomen will happen with her treatments. So what I hear you saying is you can palpate the moo points. If you find one that's reactive, you can take that information, put it into the mix with everything else you're seeing with the patient, especially if those things line up and then you treat with the four needles that move point would probably become softer. You would expect to see yeah. that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Of course. What are some differences between the Japanese and the Korean abdominal palpation? That's probably a huge well, from, question. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. <laughs> some of the move points are located differently in Chinese medicine, in Japanese acupuncture, from what I learned, and in Korean medicine, like in all styles of, styles of acupuncture, we find these large or subtle differences. <laughs> this is just the same like with any other style, probably. And compared to what I learned for Japanese acupuncture, abdominal palpation, they do it very slightly, very subtle, and the Koreans press harder and kind of more aggressive. So uh, one of the tasks is really to get your patient say, ouch, it hurts here. Yeah. So it's not so much the, how can I say, the, the therapist collecting the information, what he observes or feels, but getting the feedback of your patient. Press here, does this hurt? And they say, yes. So, okay, I know there is something wrong. So the, the Japanese are often known for their subtlety with, uh, you know, needling and palpation and things like that. But again, the idea is, I suspect, whether you're doing Korean-style palpation or whether you're doing Japanese-style palpation, as long as you've got a system that you know how to use, you can bring that to this endeavor of using Sa'am because you've got these feedback mechanisms that you know how Absolutely. to pay attention to. Absolutely. I would say if you're doing Japanese uh, abdominal 
palpation and decide by this way of you know diagnosing for this or that meridian, then you can go and treat the patient with some acupuncture. Which is logical because it's all the same physiology, it's all the same body. Some, the, most of the systems should overlap or be able to work together in some way. I think this is just logical. None of the acupuncture systems will be so off that it does not, not completely relate to the other, the other systems. Huh? I mean, that's sure. It should be like that. I, I mean, that makes <laughs> sense. Think. That would make sense. We may have very different ways of going about it. But at, at some level, they should kind of rhyme with each other, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You mentioned that one of your ways of diagnosing is to needle one of the points and check the pulse. That's just a delicious idea, and I can't wait to get into clinic and try that. That, just, that makes a lot of sense to me. So when you're needling one of the four points... With the four needles, there's two that do tonifying. You're going to tonify the mother of the meridian you want to treat, and then you're going to tonify that horary point on the channel itself, and then the, the draining comes from the cause cycle. So when you're going to test this, you're going to do a tonifying needle. Are you doing it on the mother channel or on the mother point of the channel you want to treat? I am using the point on the deceased meridian, that is selected by the promoting cycle principle of those four points. Yeah, if we like want to tonify the the spleen meridian, we will use four points. Two points will be tonified. Two will be um, sedated, and the two tonifying points are selected according to the promoting cycle of the five elements. So, if uh, spleen is earth, if you want to tonify earth. Uh, you should tonify the mother according to these principles, which is fire. And in some acupuncture, so you will select two fire points. One is the fire point on the on the particular meridian. So in that case, the fire point on the spleen meridian, which will be spleen two. And the other one would be the fire point on the fire meridian itself, which will be would be heart yes, eight. I, always a fun and one to needle. Yeah, well, I, I'm doing this all the time. Anyway, so and I'm using this mother point on that particular meridian, which would be, in that case, I would tonify spleen 2 and then recheck the pulse, see if something has happened. Yeah. Actually doing the, pretty much the same with palpating the, the abdomen. So if the patient is, uh, has, is painful on the mu point of the spleen, you could try to tonify spleen 2 and repalpate. And if it's better, you know, okay, well, I can use the tonification strategy of cell acupuncture with these four points. So that, that seems super helpful because that way you don't have to get all four needles in to figure out what's going on. You, you, you should be able to see something begin to shift early on here. Will you see this also in like, let's say someone's got painful knees. Well, like you gave the squatting example, so I guess it does work that way. Someone has a musculoskeletal issue, maybe their neck is tight, whatever. You should be able to do one needle and see some kind of change. Right, that is possible. Uh, for example, we have a one quite weird way of, of understanding lower back pain problems and of treating lower back pain 
problems compared to Chinese medicine. Okay, so this is weird and curious and interesting, which is, of course, one of the things I love about acupuncture. Using the metal channel to treat low back pain, fill me in on how that works, because I don't know how to put that together. I might provide you with two explanations. One is, one is very simple, and that is the idea. Most of the low back pain is on the level of L4, L5, which is the shoe back point of the large intestine. So the Koreans say many of the low back pain problems is related somehow to the large intestine. And this is why they say, okay, we're going to, to tonify large intestine meridian to fix this problem. This is one idea. The other one is a little bit more complicated, and that is, as I said, we want to treat the metal element because the metal corresponds to the bone and the uh, musculoskeletal system. According to Sa'am uh, 6G5 element idea, the idea is if you have a pain while moving your body forward, while bowing forward, I don't know if my English is correct here. Yes, it is fine. Then you have a pain while doing a yin movement because the front of the body and moving forward is yin. So if you have a pain while moving forward, you have a yin excess. And you want to balance this by using a young meridian. So I'm tonifying the young metal meridian, which is the large intestine, to balance this problem. The opposite is just the other way around. If the patient has more pain by moving the... Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're sort the, of moving the, backward. Moving backward. Yes. It is an excess at a young movement. So we use the yin metal meridian, which is lung, to tonify, uh, to, to balance this problem. So you could use the lung meridian to treat lower back pain if the, uh, if the diagnostic information uh, says uh, the patient has the problem by moving upward. And upward is also like extending your back backwards. So I just make let my patients move backward and forward and try to uh, collect the information which is worse or where which is the the problem, and by that decide on the lung or the large intestine meridian to treat lower back pain, which is pretty off fr from TCM. Uh, oh, totally different idea. Yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, although, but it works. Although what we did learn with TCM is that there's yin and yang and they're related. What we did learn with TCM is there's five phases and we know something about the generation cycle and we know something of the control cycle. And so when you explain this as, oh, we have an issue down it in the lower back corresponds with large intestine, which is yang ming metal, Oh, okay, there's metal. So metal might be involved here. Now we're back to looking at, is it yin, is it yang? That's a very TCM idea. I mean, that's just plain Chinese medicine. It's Chinese medicine 101. Yeah, I mean, the, the basic ideas are all the same, except maybe that there is this added layer of theoretical idea of these six qis, which to my information are pretty much left out in, in Chinese medicine. Well, I, you know, I think, you know, we hear about it, we get it in theory, but we don't get it in practice. This has been a part that has been, number one, intellectually very satisfying, number two, clinically really helpful, because we are taught to look at pathology, and we are taught to treat pathology. And so, for example, for Xiaoyin 
problems, especially kidney issues, we'll often see a decline of kidney fire. And so you use lots of formulas that'll have futsa and ganjiang and, you know, hot herbs, right? So it's like, oh, there's a shao yin problem. You treat it with hot herbs. Well, why do you do that? Because the shao yin is supposed to be hot. When in its natural state, it should be hot. So if there's an illness process going on, it will be cold. That's why we use hot herbs. Likewise, with the yangming, the yangming should be a bit cool. But especially when we look at Shanghan Lun, how do you know you got a yangming problem? You got the four bigs. You got a big pulse, big thirst, big sweat, big heat. Well, that's an ill Shaoyang. That's not a healthy Shaoyang. The healthy Shaoyang should be cool. It should be dry. And so in, in looking at these particular principles... You're talking Yang Ming, I think. Yang Ming. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yep. Strike that. No I didn't mean Shaoyang. Thank you for catching that. That's Yang Ming. Should be dry. Should be cool. In, in learning to understand and see these principles in action, I feel like I understand something better about the Zheng Qi of the body. I understand something a little better about how things are supposed to work and that when there's an imbalance somewhere, we can take like the proper aspect of, of the body's internal chi, bring it to where there's the imbalance. Dryness will take care of dampness. That's just the way the universe works. Yeah, yeah. right. This is the principles that can be applied very broad. Maybe this kind of idea is a little bit missing in the, in the Chinese medicine. One of the classic uh, literature about some acupuncture is explanation of the principle is that every meridian has basically two functions or two, two groups of functions. One is that is related to the Tsang Fu characteristics or the Tsang Fu issues of this, of this meridian. For example, let's, let's stick with large intestine. It's the meridian that, you know, moves the bowels and uh, takes out the, the dampness of the stool. So the very limited function or more limited function that is related to the Sang Fu physiology and pathology. And the second one is coming from this six chi characteristic of that meridian. So large intestine has the function of making things dry and a little bit cool. In this classic, it says, it's like, you know, we all ha often have these analogies of the state or the government in Chinese medicine. And he explains it like that. The Tsang Fu function is like the mayor in a town that is taking care of his local affairs. This is the Tsang Fu function of the, of the meridian or of the organ. And the other one is the minister that is taking care of affairs for the whole country or for the whole state. And this is the function that is, uh, or the, the characteristic that is uh, the function uh, of the six chi of that meridian. So the large intestine, uh, for our example, which make, is, is taking care of keeping things dry and a little bit cool, is doing this for the whole state, so for the whole body, not only for the limited function of the organ itself, but 
it's he is uh, in charge of uh, the balance of dry and co of dry and dampness for the whole body so we can use this energetic function not only limited to this uh, tsang fu function but for the whole uh, physiological function of the of the whole organism of of the whole body yeah it's it's a slightly different way of thinking from what we learned in school and yet like you said at the beginning of our conversation, it encompasses everything that we've already learned and and probably use in our practice. We're just at we're adding a slightly different perspective. Right. Yeah. You mentioned two streams that I've had my hands in one stream of this, which I guess you would call the more orthodox. Um, but it sounds like there's an orthodox and a modern. Could you tell us a little bit about your understanding of these two? Oh yes, I would even make three groups of treatments. One is the very orthodox uh, way of thumb acupuncture that says we have this four-needle approach. It should be used on one side only, and we are picking one pattern or one treatment strategy. That means pick one meridian that you will treat and use those four prescribed needle combinations for that meridian, and the other side is free for you know, whatever TCM or Chinese medicine or Japanese acupuncture or gua sha, moxa, whatever you want to do. This would be kind of the orthodox way. Then there is uh, another way where we use the, the basic principles of some acupuncture more freely. That means I could pick two of those four needle combinations or two of the meridians and needle one on the one side and one on the other side. Or I would pick from a four-needle combination, maybe just two needles or three needles or only one and combine several of these ideas in one treatment. And in that way, get very, very, very flexible, but in only using points that are, you know, selected by some acupuncture principle. This would be, in my understanding, be the second uh, approach. And the third one is very modern, just basically maybe about 10 years old. Uh, one of the main proponents of some acupuncture in Korea is a doctor called Kim Hong-gyong. I think he will be the most well-known or famous uh, famous doctor of, of some acupuncture in Korea. And he developed a new idea to understand the five element or the, the shoe acupuncture points in general by classifying or by saying that every of those five element acupuncture point of those what is the english term shoe transport yes points, the I transport think, points uh has every of these of these 60 shoe transport points has three aspects of the five elements okay it's it's getting a little bit more theoretical but the first one, of course, of the five element is which one of the shoe transport points is it? Is it the water point, the fire point, the metal point, and so on? This is the first aspect. The second aspect is which meridian is it and to which of the five elements does it belong to? So is it the you know earth meridian, which is spleen and, uh, and uh, stomach, or is the fire meridian, which is you know hard uh, and small intestine, and so on? So we have two aspects. And the third aspect is that we can relate, and this is a little bit complicated maybe if you don't have a, a chart, a vis visual chart, we can relate the characteristic of the six chi 
also to the five elements. So let's say Yang Ming is dryness and it relates to metal. Or Shaoyin is heat and it relates to fire. So every acupuncture point has these three levels of five element um, relationship. And that means the acupuncture points get a completely new or very different uh, meaning. I can use an acupuncture point that has a triple, triple same characteristic. For example, if we take spleen three, it's earth meridian, it's the earth point, and it's a tie-in according to the 6G, which is also earth. So the point in the body that is tonifying or sedating, yeah, it depends on which met method you use, the most earth aspect in the body will be spleen 3. Well, let's let's take liver 1. It's the, the point that has the most wind aspect. It's the wood meridian, which is wind. It's the wood point that is wind. And it's... Um, and it, it, it's Jiyin, which is wind. And, it's, and this also relates to wind. So it's a triple wind point. So if you want to influence wind in the patient's body, the, the most strong point you could choose will be liver 1. And like that. And of course, we have other points that have two or three different element aspects uh, according to the system. And with this understanding, we can, you know, have a very new perspective on selecting single acupuncture points, which is very, very new idea, but it makes, if you understand it, it makes a very, very understandable and systematic idea. So you could choose, for example, one acupuncture point that will influence three elements in the body. If you have, if you choose a point that has three, a triple aspect, these three and three different ones, you can say, I want to tonify water, metal, and earth in my patient with just one point. So you will pick a point that has these three characteristics in one point, and if you tonify this point, you will tonify three elements in your patient's uh, organism or, or body. It's a wonderful idea. Very, very clear and understandable and good um, system of treating patient. But this moves away of the four-needle four uh, treatment um, of cell acupuncture. It just expands on the idea that uh, the 6G aspect is also present uh, in the physiology and also in every acupuncture point. I think this is really powerful. Just listening to you explain it, I'm thinking to myself, oh, so this is how I can go and help a woman with hot flashes. If she really needs to be cooled down and dried out, I can go look for something that is the most cool, dry point. So that might be on, you know, and this is where differential diagnosis comes in, that could be on the large intestine, Yangming metal, but it also might be on the Taiyang urinary bladder, water. Absolutely meridian. correct. Could be so one if of those, you want to dry right? and cool her down, you could pick the water point on the large intestine, metal meridian, or you could pick the metal point on the water meridian. Or, I mean, the water, water meridian, which is, uh, as you said, Taiyang bladder meridian. It's water according to five elements. And it's cool 
according to the 6G, which is Taiyang, which is also water. And then you pick the uh, metal point. So you could cool her down and dry her up. This makes so much sense to me. And, and you know, I hear you say this is kind of a new idea. And, and, I, and I get it that here's someone in our modern world that you've had the good fortune to learn from, and now you're sharing it with us. I'm deeply grateful for this. At the same time, this is the traditional bones of our medicine. This is, in some ways, it's, air quotes, a new idea, but this is the basic fundamentals of what Chinese medicine is built on. This is old medicine. It is. Yeah. Dr. Kim Hong-gyong just came up with this understanding of acupuncture points, but it's, of course, based on the very traditional based on the classics. Uh, idea of understanding everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> wow, that's, that's super powerful. I can see myself sitting down now and wanting to make a chart of these correspondences so I can very quickly and easily go, yeah, I want to pull them down and dry them out. And, and you know, where would I go to do that? That's brilliant. Now, I know you have a book. It's just in German. So all y'all that read German, there's a great resource. Do you have charts like this in the book? Is there, is there a chart for well, this? Well, not for this new kind of system, because my book just covers this orthodox old method. But there are charts, of course, of you know the four-needle treatment strategies, which points to use. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on or creating this chart that you talk about where one point can capture two or three of the influence and aspect that I want to treat. That sounds super powerful and a great way to diagnose as well. Actually, for this, I'm at the moment just writing these kind of charts because I, I am in the process of translating the, the Korean teaching script to... At the moment, I'm translating to English, actually. I'm trying to make a, a Korean-English translation of this, of the script teaching this idea. But I have not yet finished. It's 80% um, finished, and then some other people might have translated that material to, to English or another language, but I'm, I'm not sure if there is much mm, out there. There's not at the much. Moment. Probably in, not. No, there's not much in English about um, that's good yet. So it's it, it areas of endeavor. Well, Andreas, thank you so much for this conversation. It, it, it has helped to illuminate some things for me in the, in the small amount of time that I've had with working with Sa'am. And it's just, you know, it's just so helpful to know that these fundamentals of our medicine that we talk about are clinically fantastically useful if, if we can sort of stand in the right place and, and get the perspective that allows us to unlock these really powerful forces in the body. It's been absolutely delightful. Any final things that you'd like to share with our listeners before we uh, say goodbye for today? Well, first, I hope that the listeners were able to understand my explanations because for my seminars, from seeing my my participants, I know that at first it takes quite a while to grasp the general idea of some acupuncture. And as I said, without having a visual support, it might be even a little bit harder to, to grasp the idea. But I can just recommend anybody who wants to try some acupuncture to learn it somehow, somewhere, and then see how it works. And you will find that it's 
highly effective. I'm very much convinced of this method and I'm really trying to get people uh, interested in this method. And anybody who wants to, you should try to find some good teacher and, and learn it. And different from Europe, where I'm from, in the United States, you have some Korean community and there are teachers who are a few more teachers than here in Europe who, who are able to teach people about Korean medicine and some acupuncture. Are you teaching this yourself? Are you, do you have students? Yeah, I'm You're teaching right. this mm -hmm. uh, since 2015. I've been teaching for our German Acupuncture Association here in Germany. I recently, uh, just two weeks ago, I taught in, in Austria, also taught uh, one time in London a seminar by now, but... Um, at least for Europe, I'm willing to travel anywhere and be happy to to, to teach a seminar. About Great. So you can teach in German, you can teach in English? I can teach in German and English, well. Yeah. Not more, actually. <laughs> but English, is, I think, is fine. I have all my material also in English, and uh, it's possible. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Geological. If you've listened this far in, clearly you're a hashtag Geological nerd. So for you diehards, I have a small ask that will take three minutes of your time. I've had a lot of feedback on postcards, in my email, and in conversations in person. And what I'm hearing is that y'all appreciate Geological because you feel more connected to our Chinese medicine community and to the medicine itself. This makes me really curious because there's all these different ways that we have of being connected today. There's Facebook, there's Instagram, various chat groups, text your friends, along with the more traditional methods of books, you know, and some really fine journals. I mean, our human spheres of interconnection have never been as rich and varied as they are right now. So it raises the question in my mind, how is it that geological is somehow different from the multitude of other methods that we have to be connected. I'd really love to hear from you on this. Please tell me your thoughts on the back of a postcard or by email, or you could even leave a comment over on the Geological Facebook page. I'm really curious to know how you experience Geological as being somehow different. Please tell me about the connection that it creates for you. All right, friends, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me. And tune in again next week for something deliciously geological.